Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor, excuse me, district president of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season to all of you this Monday, August the 1st. Yes, we are in August, and today, as we begin this new month, we begin renewed as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 45. We had a great study on Friday with Pastor John Schenk, and we got to that point where we see Judah, Judah who stands in the place of his brother to make sure that the father would be pleased, and that points us to Jesus. I'm still living off the joy of that study because it reminds us of how we put our Christ goggles on throughout the scriptures, and we're able to see not only Christ, but his forgiveness and his gospel to us even today. So open up your Bibles, put on those Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome back with great joy Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor McFadden, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be with you, Brady. Yeah, Pastor. So what's going on for you and your family uh, this summer? Well, we, we got back from a vacation in Europe. My wife was in COVID jail for about 10 days uh, after being quad-vaxxed. We, she still <laughs> tested positive, and, and so we oh, spent yuck. some extra time in, in um, Basel, which was great. And then we had an opportunity to uh, uh, watch two of our grandkids for 16 days while their parents and older siblings were on a vacation. So we've been doing that. And other than that, it's just been working at church, filling in uh, some pulpit supply and doing a weekly worship service in a retirement community that I've been doing for about five, six years. Well, and this is why, Pastor, it's good for us to uh, remind our listeners uh, to pray for grandparents as they take on that blessed vocation, especially when you, I think you said it well before our show today, that uh, there's a reason why you have kids when you're younger and your grandparents when you're, you know, that it's a whole different vocation. So pray for pray for strength and the joy that comes with that and also pray for our pastors who are willing to serve part-time vacancy work because you know the the, the work is great the labors are few and what a joy and blessing our uh, vacancy type pastors are so pastor with that in mind um, can you begin our time here in god's word and prayer yes dear lord before studying the bible We thank you for your written word and the mighty truths it contains. We pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and our minds to the truths that you wish us to see. Amen. Amen. Reminder, if you have any questions concerning our text in uh, Genesis chapter 45, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, this this we come to chapter forty five, and I, I've just been blown away. I'm always blown away at our guests and and how they're able to make connections. And there's so many connections, and so we come to forty five. We probably think, well, we know the story. You know, I remember this story, and and people talk about it even in culture. I would argue the Joseph story, and and you look at it, and there's so many points of of that we could focus on, or we think we know it. But it's always good to start off on the right foot. So, how do you want to help us 
to start from the right foot today as we look at 40, chapter 45? Well, I think that the tendency, uh, maybe more in, in uh, American churches other than Lutheran, but the tendency is to view this account from Genesis to 37 to 50 through the lens of morality. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it's turned into a applicational how-to, uh, things to do, things not to do. Joseph forgave his brothers. You should forgive your uh, people also, etc. And I think that misses the point that it really isn't so much about Joseph as it's about God. And we Lutherans, we love to talk about the hiddenness of God. We say he's hidden in the, you mentioned vocation of grandparent earlier. Uh, He's hidden in the mass of vocation he uses to answer our prayers. So we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And God puts on the mask of the farmer to grow the wheat, the miller to grind it, the truck driver to take it to the bakery, the pimple-faced high school kid who stocks the bread on the shelf. And I'm not quite sure whether he wears the mask of the 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 mechanical scanner but at the grocery store but you get the idea he wears these masks i I think what we don't often see though and luther brings this out very well is that god also is hidden in our tragedies our trials our tribulations Mm. and our afflictions and when you look at chapter 45 i I'm struck by so many points that we're going to be discussing, but if I were going to put it in a nutshell, I would say chapter 45 talks about how God works through means, even uncomfortable, unpleasant, unwelcome means to accomplish his purposes. Well, that in mind is our interpretive key. Uh, Like you said, there's many moving parts we could have that God works through means, even the uncomfortable ones. Let's be honest, for you, our listeners, and for Pastor and I, we're going to go through those if you have not, or maybe you currently are. And that's why the word of God is for you. So, Pastor, I'm ready to start digging in. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Genesis chapter 45. Reminder to our listeners, we will be reading from the English Standard Version. We hear the word of God. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It is my, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Pastor, as we look at this beginning, it is the one thing that I've noticed throughout Genesis that that really has been helpful going slowly through this this blessed book of, of beginnings is the details are very much so related for us today. In this sense, we can read some of the epistles, we can read other books uh, in the scriptures, and, and we kind of are separated from the emotions in a certain sense. But this right here, these three verses is just chock full. You almost can put yourself in that, that situation and think, what would I do? What, what would I say? What would, I mean, to say they were dismayed at his presence <laughs> is an understatement. Can you imagine? So, Pastor, what do you, what, how do you want to start us off with these verses? Well, I, I think that uh, the, the words that are so powerful are, are, are two words in Hebrew. I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Yeah. Up until mm-hmm. now, they have been referring to him by the Egyptian name given him by Pharaoh. And, the, and they dealt with him through an interpreter. And now he has chased the interpreter out of the room. He's, he's had his retinue of, of, of attendants leave. 
so that he can speak directly to his brothers. And he goes to his mother tongue and he says words that they did not expect to hear. I am Joseph. And it, it carries with it, uh, as we learn re- through the rest of the chapter, a whole lot about forgiveness. But at the time he says it, if I were sitting where they were, I don't think I would have controlled myself very well because it, it was a reminder of perhaps the worst thing they had ever done in their lives. Hmm. And it's being brought to the head, the most powerful man in their world is also the one to whom they have done the worst thing they'd ever done in their entire lives. And what a recognition that must have been. I mean, their lives are in, in, you know, their lives are on the line here. I mean, they, this guy is controlling the food. This guy is obviously (laughs) um, toying with them. If I can say it that way, he's trying to be generous, but he's also toying with them, you know, putting some little more money in there and put some more money, putting the the cup in the sack and all the, I mean, he's just kind of going back and forth. And now they realize, oh my gosh, not only is this guy kind of playing with us, but he knows everything about us. To me, to me, pastor, it's much like, um, it's much like when you meet someone from your high school. No, this is a very small, you know, <laughs> and you see someone from high school. Actually, it happened to be this morning. I was at the gas saying, hey, you're 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 so and so. We graduated together. Oh, yeah. And then we had to leave right away because we both going to work. But but that person, they see you. And let's say they see you in a position of like pastor or whatever it might be. They're like, oh, my gosh, they know my past. They know my past. They saw me in those moments. They know who I am. Oh, my goodness. And then that's his. I mean, this is 10 times more emotional than that, too, because they know his worst sins. And in chapter 44, we see them talk about their guilt over this. They know how much this affected their father. They know how much was there. They were feeling that guilt, even if they weren't saying it explicitly. But now it's right in front of them. And other thoughts well yeah and and luther picks up exactly on that that you use the word toys and that's the word he uses when he refers this Uh and he applies it to us he says what a beautiful example of how god deals with us when he afflicts the godly and conceals the fact that he is our god and father and rather conducts himself as a tyrant and a judge who wants to torture and destroy us he says at last in his own good time and at the suitable hour i am the lord your god Here, too, I have treated you just as I wanted to cast you off and hurl you into hell. But this is a game I want to play with my saints. For if I had not wished you well from from my heart, I would never have played with you in this manner. Reason says, Mm -hmm. why does God afflict the innocent in this way? He doesn't do this without a purpose. He does it to get rid of sin. And since we are involved in faults of various kinds, we can't boast of innocence in the same manner Joseph also disciplines and humbles his brothers in order that he may exalt them. And it's that same idea, applying it to us, that we pray, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. But oftentimes his hiddenness is seen in the afflictions that he permits to happen. Uh, We don't have to get it, you know, uh, our dogmaticians used to talk about how some things are are permitted by God, some things are hindered by God, some things are directed by God, some things are determined by God, and it really doesn't matter. The fact is, he uses everything. He uses the best, he uses the worst, he uses uh, the, the ugly jealousy of these brothers to sell their their brother into slavery, and he turns it into an incredible blessing to preserve the line of the Messiah. And so 
You know, we, we often want it to all be yippy skippy happy stuff, but God specializes in using some of the afflictions as well. So as we look at this, it's God works through means, even the uncomfortable ones. And I can't think of a more uncomfortable situation right at this moment uh, for anybody that involved. And so uh, I, I, I think it's time to move on. But do you have anything else no, you wanted that, to share? That, that covered it. All right. So uncomfortable. God works, God works through uncomfortable means. So let's keep hearing about it. Verse four. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord to all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I'll provide for you. And, and there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Well, you know what, Pastor, as I was reading that, I was like, oh, where do I stop? I just want to keep going personally. So, so Pastor, there's a lot to cover there. Where do you want to start? The simplest thing I could say, and the thing that I think we need to grab hold of in this passage, and it's, it, it's wonderful in English because we can turn it to a nice alliteration. Uh, he says, you sold me, but that very same action was the action God used to send him. They sold him, God sent him. And he uses that word sent three times here to say that God sent him to uh, preserve the lives, to save their lives, to bring a great deliverance. Three times he affirms God is the one who sent him into Egypt. So, you know, here's what, you know, they used to, when we were in school, they used to call concurrence, that, that God is, is using the very same acts that we use. And regardless of our motive for doing them, he is working his hidden hand through it anyway. And so they, they meant to sell him, God meant to send him, and both are true. Well, that, that brings up, just go with the natural question that will come up in any normal Bible study full of very faithful Christian people. So what does that mean for us? Like, are you saying that the end justifies the means? Are you saying that therefore this selling of their brother wasn't sinful? How would you, how would you describe that to someone? Because that right 
in the ear, you're like, well, wait a second here. What's going on? How would you break that down? Well, I, I guess, uh, uh, Pastor, I went through a period in my early 30s where I, I had a, a crisis that just rocked my world. And for a protracted period of months, I was in agony over a sin that someone else had committed that was impacting me. And I I heard, you know, I wasn't a Lutheran then, but I think the theology is sound. Uh, A popular Christian author, uh, a songwriter by the name of Steve Green, he he had a, a song that said, God and God alone created all the things we call our own. From the mighty to the small, the glory in them all is God's and God's alone. God mm-hmm. and God alone reveals the truth of all we call unknown. And all the best and worst of man won't change the master's plan. It's God's and God's alone. God and God alone is fit to take the universe's throne. Let everything that lives reserve its truest praise for God and God alone. And I think there's a sense in which the sin of Judah, of Judas, will always be a horrible sin but it was the means God used to effect the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The means, the, the intentions we have, be they praiseworthy or, or sinful, will be either praiseworthy or sinful based on what we're doing. But God doesn't limit himself to simply the praiseworthy motives. He's able to use even our worst intentions to accomplish his purposes that doesn't take away our responsibility for sin it simply says he's so incredibly creative and masterful that he can take our worst efforts and turn those lemons into lemonade for his purposes in the long run so in terms of eternity god can get, you know the meaning of romans eight twenty eight. he is mm-hmm. he's at work in all things for good to those who love him and that doesn't make all things good. We we still confess, you know, regularly those things which are sinful in commission and omission. But we have great confidence that our Lord is able to uh, redeem even the days the locusts have eaten, as Joel would put it. <laughs> it is. It is so. And I was gonna. I was gonna quote Romans eight twenty eight before you did because it is that passage can be used in in so many ways that kind of always hit my ear. Where I was like, oh, that's just that's just, you're just pandering people. But the more you realize, especially in the light of the Joseph account, the the true story of Joseph, how could you not read Romans eight with even with just with with just clarity as you look through it in the realm of, of the cross and the empty tomb and, and God's and God's providence and his uh, and his salvation. How could you not read that and feel so comforted because when you go to a church that's in conflict or you're in a family that has conflict or there's been infidelity or there's been other issues, we often see everything e- like an equation. You do this, you do this, you do this, and then it works. But as Christians, we realize it never works that way because it's just full of sin and it's broken. And here it's a, that promise in the middle of that, like, I don't know what to do. Well, we know that God is going to work through this for his good and for salvation of his people. And, and, Honestly, the older we get, the more precious these promises become. Uh, it's possible for a person who's young. I remember, I remember when I was very young and I, a uh, young pastor, I, I did a lot of funerals and I personalized them and I tried to be as compassionate as I could be and did an 
awful lot of funerals and they affected me. But once I had a loss in my family that was personal to me, every funeral I did after that was different. And the older we get, the more we are broken by the circumstances of life, the more people wrong us, the more we wrong people, the more we hurt, the more we suffer, the more we endure, the more precious promises like Romans 28 become. And you look at the Joseph story and you look at the decades that he was in Egypt in ignominious uh, state before he received his his elevation by Pharaoh, and you realize that uh, our time frame is too limited. You know, mm. it's both historically and eternally. Uh, we do not see the end of the story. And those promises become ever more precious as we accumulate more and more bumps and grinds and scars. Well, and the promises are real. So, so with that promise, like you said, three times is very clear. God sent me before you to preserve you for remnant on. So God sent, you know, they sold God sent. I think that's a great, that's a great way for us to remember. And so he tells them, come near. And he tells them all these things. Now he says, hurry, go to your father and say this. And I just, I, I just envisioned this. The brothers, you know, are just like, Oh my gosh, what are we going to tell dad? And so he had to instruct them. Yeah. Okay, you got to say this, you got to say this, because they're like, what, what's going on? <laughs> so he's like, he's doing catechesis on what to say. Well, and it's so realistic too, because as as we all know, uh, <laughs> the, the messes we get ourselves in, uh, sometimes the process of, of forgiveness and the process of making amends and the process of restoring relationships involves people discovering some of the things that we would rather they didn't know and here Mm -hmm. the brothers have lied to their father and and told them that joseph was mauled by an animal and now they've got to somehow explain how this this dead son of jacob is actually alive and Mm -hmm. the most important man in all of egypt and that is going to be more than a little embarrassing for them Oh, you know what? That that's a great perspective on that too. How are we gonna how are we gonna explain this to Dad that that we didn't just lie like oh I didn't eat the, that cookie in the cookie jar? No, I mean this is one of your beloved sons is, is gone, and and they knew too. They saw how much pain that that father had gone through um, when he did uh, pass or when did die or the when that what they said when he had died, and now they're going to go back and do that. What's this, what's Dad going to do? I mean, is Dad going to throw us out? Is he going to be? You guys are done. Whatever it might be. I mean, the implications are absolutely everywhere. So he's instructing them now. Uh, he then, then once again, the emotions come out. Then he fell upon his brother, Benjamin's neck and fell upon his neck and they wept and kissed and kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And his brothers talked to him. So you have this restoration and the renewed relationship back together. Unbelievably powerful. Absolutely. So pastors, you see it, any thoughts on, on that restoration for them, for us? What does this all look like? How do we speak about it as Christian people? Well, uh, there's, a, there's certainly a dimension in terms of, of our close relationships that, that we could learn from this. But I, I go back to the point I made at the beginning. The, the largest lesson for us in this is not about Joseph and his brothers. It's about God and us. 
and Mm -hmm. he uses even our time in the prisons of Egypt to uh, work his purposes in our lives. And at the end of it, he is still the God who, as, 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 as we learn in the small catechism, uh, you know, when we talk about the first article, you know, I believe that I believe in God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth. And, and Luther used to say that we ought to focus on that every day. Because every day, the message that if God is truly the Father Almighty, then I believe that he made me and all creatures. He's given me my body, my soul, my ears, my eyes, all my limbs, my reason, all my senses, and he still preserves them. And he's given me clothing and shoes and meat and drink, house and home, wife and children, fields, cattle, and all good my goods. He provides me richly and daily with all that I need to support this body and life. He protects me from all danger. He guards me and preserves me from all evil. And he does all this out of pure fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. And for all this, I ought to thank him, praise him, serve him, and obey him. This is most certainly true. And Luther said we ought to think about that every single day because the fact that he is God, the Father Almighty, and he is working behind the scenes in all the circumstances of life, um, speaks to this issue of the of the experience between Joseph and his brothers. God is always at work in a reconciling way in our lives and in a purifying way, in a sanctifying way through his Holy Spirit. And the fact that he is the God, the Father Almighty, is is an incredibly terrifying but incredibly comforting truth for all believers. And I think that's the most important aspect. I, I you know, obviously, uh, reconciliation is is gorgeous wherever it happens we love to hear a story of reconciliation of of a of a couple that's been estranged of friends that have been uh at odds with each other of a parent who's been uh, alienated from a, a a daughter or a son and we love those stories and joseph is a wonderful example of that but behind it i think is that greater story of of god's reconciling work in our lives and that's exactly true, because as we look at this, and I like how you put it, because we can easily look at it as a, a programmatic equation, like I mentioned before, how, oh, okay, so this is what Joseph did, and then therefore that's what I'll do. Or we'll hear a story on TV or whatever it might be and say, okay, so if I just say those words, <laughs> then the, the relationship will be restored. But the beauty of the Joseph story is this was not this is not an equation. This is not a handbook. This is simply showing how God reconciles us to him. And then therefore, from that in this messy world, God continues to reconcile us to him. And then also among one another, like you said so beautifully, by the power of the Holy Spirit and his sanctifying way. So, Pastor, I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. We need to take our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 45 with Pastor Dennis McFadden, and we will be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org.
welcome back. We are studying and greatly enriched, I would say, from Genesis chapter 45 with Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And and Pastor, we were talking about reconciliation and, and there is that tendency that we can look at this and, oh, wow, that's okay. That's how they did it. Therefore, that's how it's going to happen in my life. Why is that a danger? You you did speak about it, but I just want to make sure because it is such a temptation when we look at this. Well, Why I, is that a danger? To me, it's to me, the biggest danger is the danger of so much uh, the Sunday school lessons that kids get where it takes the grand narrative of the Bible and it reduces it to a moral of the story as if it's an Aesop's fable. And when mm-hmm. we do that, then we think, well, I can be a I can be a friend like Jonathan and David or I can I can uh, uh-huh. I can conquer Goliath in my life like David did or I can you know, we, we turn it into life examples that that misses the point that it's not about so much telling us how to be better people as it is telling us what our Lord has done in our lives uh, in a redemptive way through Jesus Christ and continues to do in our lives through his Holy Spirit and the comfort and consolation of the brethren. He uses He uses all these means to, to minister his grace and his mercy to us. And when you look at a story like Joseph, uh, Luther, when he looked at it, he said, oh, it's, t- it, it's a picture of the resurrection. <laughs> he said, oh, you, won't find yeah. a, uh, you won't find a better example, uh, a clearer picture of the resurrection of Christ than the story of Joseph. So to, to read the Bible through Christ-focused eyes is an is a incredible gift because it liberates us from the kind of bottom shelf moralism that is so easy to jump on. And this is why, Pastor, I've done a number of weddings recently, and that's why I always use Ephesians 5 when I talk about weddings, um, because it, it always begins with people kind of, you know, getting their dander up when they when they hear about uh, uh, when they hear about submission. Yes. <laughs> um, but it, when it, when you speak about especially in our hymnal, it speaks about how it's a reflection of God's love for his church through Christ or Christ's love for the church. And when we're able to see it through those eyes, man, it's just as. It just brings out so many other realities. And then when you said it so beautifully, how could we not see the resurrection in this story and the resurrection of Jesus? And it just brings that out even more. For example, that that they 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 wept and then they started talking to one another. I mean, just that that outflowing of God's grace upon his people. When we're able to see it through that, we don't look at our marriages as if you do this, this and this and this, and then you have a 95 percent chance of this marriage working. Well, guess what? You could be part of the five percent yeah but when you actually see it through the lens of christ like you said so beautifully we're able to see the fruitfulness of all of it and how god has brought it before our lives not as an equation but as children of god coming together as one flesh as children of god come together as a church as children of god come together in this world i mean it's a, it just reveals us so wonderfully thank you for pointing that out other thoughts you have no that the, with those verses there i think that covers most of what i was thinking <sighs> It's just great. So full. We are just so enriched, as I said before. Um, Let's continue on. Verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, excuse me, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. 
Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Mm. Well, the story, I mean, this is unsolicited stuff too. The story just gets better. What's happening here with Pharaoh? Well, what we see is, uh, and, the, and the text tells us that, that Joseph was as a father to Pharaoh and the commentators love to go off on, was he a father figure? Was Pharaoh younger than him? Uh, I, I think it probably just means he was like a grand vizier or a grand vizier of the, mm. of the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. He was he was in a very important role. He had successfully saved Egypt from disaster. And it's only human nature to be grateful. And the Pharaoh is incredibly grateful to Joseph for what Joseph has done. And so now that he learns that Joseph has family, he wants to reward the family as well as Joseph. He, and he, he offers good land, the best land. He offers good things. He asked them to bring these these two wheeled uh, wagons uh, for mm-hmm. the animals to draw and to take uh, take several loads of of uh, donkeys uh, back home. And at this time, uh, the the hill country of Palestine was not known for carts and wagons. And so, when Jacob saw all of the this this caravan of wagons coming toward him, that must have blown him away. And here, the generosity of Pharaoh out of gratitude for what Joseph has done for him is now expressed in his uh, actions, concrete actions toward Joseph. Well, and a proof once again, throughout Genesis, you see this, that the Lord will provide, uh, provide for his people. And clearly, when you see this through the lens of faith, you see that God's working through that. Like you said, God works through means, through people, even some like Pharaoh that we're not quite sure where his faith is at. But yet uh, God was at work. We could see it as Pharaoh's like, well, I better pay this guy off. He's done so much for me. But we see that God is working through him even in this situation. Other thoughts? Well, back, back to the, the notion of vocation. Uh, we talk so much about mm-hmm. uh, God wearing the mask of the farmer and the truck driver and the and the grocery store worker and that, that we have multiple vocations. And at times we, you know, glorify that as if that's, you know, somehow these are good people doing good work on God's behalf. Well, sometimes they are. Sometimes they're evil people. Uh, who are wearing the mask of God for us because you don't have to be a, a confirmed Lutheran to be a good farmer. And a good farmer can be delivering the product to market, which God uses in the answer to your petition, give us this day our daily bread. And God wears the mask of the farmer, whether it's an obedient farmer or a disobedient farmer toward God as an individual. And it doesn't really matter whether Pharaoh is at this point, as far as the brothers of, of Joseph go, it doesn't much matter what what Pharaoh's religion is. What matters is they worship the true God, and the true God is using Pharaoh to provide for them a, a deliverance, a protection, a salvation from, from poverty and want and starvation. And the Lord is going to fulfill his promise of Genesis 3, Uh, to raise up uh, a seed of Abraham, and he's going to do it even if it involves 400 years in Egypt. And so uh, it just shows that that wonderful concurrence of how God, the hidden hand of God, is at work. 
and he can use even evil people to bring blessing to his people. And his people here are, are receiving that. And I'm trying to, I want to, I want to break this down for a moment because it is, it is so important, this vocational realities that we see in our, in our world. And you brought it forward before the, the bread that is made, the grain that is produced, the bread that is made, the worker at the grocery store, the, you know, the, the, the worker at the line that comes eventually to our tables. Um, what ways do we see that in our everyday lives? You see that example, but I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure that we, we have this because we will talk this way in a secular sense. Well, we call all it the time as a, Americans. A supply chain. <laughs> right, in a secular right, sense, right. we call it the supply chain. And, <laughs> exactly. and God is able to conscript the supply chain of a secular society to the service of his saints to make sure that he feeds them, he clothes them, he protects them, he cares for them, and he is able to use, as that song said, all the best and worst of men. And it won't change mm. the master's plan. He's got a plan, and he govern. You know, we talk about God, God's providence in terms of His preserving, in terms of His concurrence, in terms of His government. Uh, he uses all of these means and these vocations to accomplish things. And and we w- we have multiple vocations at all times. I um, last couple of weeks I was primary caregiver for. Uh, for two young children, uh, my wife is suffering from a, 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 a terribly painful a malady in her hip right now, and so I'm uh, I'm doing I'm doing all the household chores to try to help out. Uh, my my vocation as a husband uh, is a little different today than it was a, a year ago, and uh, we have vocations as as churchmen, as parents, as children, as as brothers, as sisters, as uncles, as aunts, as grandparents, as citizens, as workers. Uh, and, and the best way to understand that is you don't go looking for your vocation. Your vocation comes looking for you. And the mm-hmm. real question is, who is my neighbor? And when God wants to give you a vocation, just ask yourself, who is my neighbor? And you'll have a pretty good idea what your vocation is. You don't have to look very far. Yeah, you don't have to look real far. And neither did neither did Joseph, neither did his brothers. Boom. They were right in front of him. And then here's the task at hand. Um, Wow. So that's my encouragement to our listeners is to, first of all, think about the vocations that God has given to you. First of all, I would say pray for those individuals that are in your life and then say, Lord, who is my neighbor? (laughs) And and how can I therefore serve and care um, throughout our, our lives as Christian people redeemed and forgiven in Christ alone? Pastor, uh, we are on verse 21. Anything else you want to highlight in those first 20 verses? I don't think so, Brady. I think. All right. All right. Let's keep moving. The sons of Israel did so. Verse 21. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows. Ten donkey, donkeys loaded with, with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, oh grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away. As they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. Before we get to the, uh, how do you say it, 
a good father will tell his children in the back of the car <laughs> when they leave for vacation, don't fight. We'll get to that a little bit later. But definitely Pharaoh is laying out all the goods. I mean, this is a buffet of plenteousness mm-hmm. that he's given to the to the Israelites, which is quite amazing the more because he just keeps going and giving and giving. Any thoughts on the giving that, that Pharaoh gives? Well, I, I think it's a it's a it is a it's a parable, if you will, of God's giving to us. It's it's an embarrassment of riches, uh, and certainly it's undeserved. These these bad brothers mm. don't deserve the treatment they're getting, but because of their relationship to Joseph, they're treated as if they are heirs of Egypt, and that's a kind of an interesting parallel to our situation. We are we are heirs with Christ of all things, and God does not reward us based on our deserts or our merits. But it's because we are connected to Christ that we are the recipients of all of his amazing blessings and largesse. And here, Joseph's brothers receive way beyond what anyone could expect, uh, rather undeservedly, actually, considering how they had treated him uh, in selling him into slavery. And their, and their evil efforts are met with forgiveness anyway. And that's a, a pretty interesting human example of what God does for us every single day in Christ. He forgives us daily because of Christ, and he blesses us daily in Christ. And we receive what we don't necessarily and probably definitely don't deserve. And Pastor, there's, there is a danger in this text, too, where we'll say, okay, um, God blessed Joseph because he believed this whole time. And, and then therefore he blessed his extended family. Therefore, somehow it comes back to me and, and my faithfulness and, and me doing the will of God. And then therefore God is going to bless me in a similar way. Any, well, what would your counsel oh. be for somebody who was making those connections? <laughs> You've raised a real issue there. And that's that whole <laughs> tendency we have to pursue a theology of glory. We, we, we want to make this equation mm. that says uh, good deeds uh, equal good outcomes. And so if a bad outcome comes, it must mean I made a mistake. Who sinned, this man or his parents? The right. disciples asked Jesus. Uh, and the other side of it is we tend to think that, that the misery we experience is a direct consequence of our having not done the right thing. And repeatedly in Scripture, we see examples that confound that by saying, no, that's not, that's not the equation you, make, you should make. Yes, we are called to obedience. Yes, we are called to glorify God. But no, you can't draw direct lines between your behavior and God's, God's outcomes in your life. Um, you know, that's the mistake some of the, the uh, promise name it and claim it types in American Christianity make, that's the error they make of thinking that, that if I just say the right thing, if I just believe it hard enough, if I just do enough good things, then God has to bless me. And that, and I, I will never be good enough to earn his blessing or to deserve it. It is all unmerited. And uh, that kind of, you know, we see things through the cross, not through, the formula of bigger and better. As you, you use that line, and when we were at the Nash Youth Gathering, one of my uh, pastor, one of our guests, uh, Joshua Knippa, said it this way. He said, 
you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, shake it and bake it. And I was like, well, what happened here? How do we get to all these terms? Yeah. <laughs> so it's so easy for us to, I never heard the blab it and grab it. You've heard that before? No, not that one. My <laughs> wife had one similar that she used to say, she used to say uh, uh, about that, but uh, no, I have heard blab it and grab it. There it is. Well, shaking and bake it, we know it's a whole different, yeah. that's not even close. Yeah. He's like, I just wanted to say that one. That has nothing to do with this. Anyways, so the the Lord, once again, provides um, for his people and he, he, he it's an overwhelming providence. I mean, there, there it all is. And then when they leave, you would think... Um, for example, they've seen, I mean, the restoration has happened. They, they saw, you know, this guy who could have just thrown them out. He has forgiven them in essence. They're able to be in that full relationship. God has blessed them. They're able to go and they're going to restore their relationship with their father. They're going to come back. Everything is good. You think that this be happy and clappy all the way back to Canaan and they'd be happy, clappy all the way back. So why is it that Joseph says right at the end do not quarrel on the way well do you have to do that there's so much grace here why would you need to instruct them this is kind of weird <laughs> because he knows his brothers these were the <laughs> ones who sold him into slavery and That's even right, yeah. you know we we like to say that we're simultaneously saint and sinner the old adam clings to us rather tenaciously and we uh we wake every morning drowning the old adam in and beginning with the new man every day and the reality is we're never very far away from that old nature that is not eradicated but it still clings to us even as we are saints of the most high we still uh, have the traits of the old adam and that nature is is there and joseph knows very well what his brothers uh, are like it is interesting though um I don't know if you made much of this when you were in chapter 37, but that that mm. amazing story of, of Joseph that runs all the way through the end of Genesis, uh, following the story of, 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 of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, gets interrupted in a very dramatic way with that weird chapter 37 that, mm -hmm. that talks about... Uh, you know, uh, you know, it talks about Joseph and his brothers, but then it gets an interruption in chapter 38 when it brings up Judah and Tamar and, right, and right. that weird thing. And just as the story of Abraham got interrupted with the weird story of Lot and his daughters. And true, it is yeah. interesting how God, you know, among these brothers of, of Joseph uh, here, uh, the interesting one to me is his brother Judah. Because right. the Jews were not called Josephs, they were called Judah, Jews after Judah. And Judah becomes the, the, the leader of the, in a sense, of the people of Israel. And it's interesting how God uses the Abraham and Lot story and the Judah Tamar story. And in the book of Ruth, you've got a daughter of Lot and a son of Judah who in their uh, redemption move with the kinsman redeemer resolve the loose ends of the book of genesis and so the loose ends in the story of abraham uh, lot and his daughters and the loose end in the story of joseph uh judah uh get resolved as god brings it all together in the ancestor of the messiah through boaz and ruth and so i i you know i just think that 
the unseen hand of God is working not just in Joseph, but also in his brothers. And even though he has to tell them, hey, quit acting like like idiots on the way home. Uh, nevertheless, it is one of those brothers who, because of his final coming to terms with what obedience is, is about, you know, God uses him as as a, a very important link in the chain of what's going to happen next, leading up to the to the book of Ruth and the final resolution. Oh boy. And there, there are so many connections back to Ruth with all of this. Thank you for that reminder because it is so, <laughs> um, that's why I love going back to the book of Ruth. And I would encourage you, our listeners, as we're going through the end of Genesis, to have, to have that. You have the kinsman redeemer. You have that understanding of the connections that are here. To read the book of Ruth on your, on your journey throughout the scriptures because it does connect it in so many ways. Um, but I could go into that all day. Pastor, anything else? We have about five minutes left in our time. Anything else in those first 24 no, verses? No, I'm ready highlight? for the next several. <laughs> all right, here we go. 25. So they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. I'm going to stop there quick, Pastor, because, I mean, you can feel it. I love that language. His heart became numb. Yeah. Describe this to us. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I, 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 it, the commentators are, are in disagreement over exactly what's going on here, but I think on a human level, it's just easy to understand. He is he is surprised by joy. He is over, but to say surprised is to understate it. He is yeah. awestruck. He is, he is reduced to stone, if you will, by the news that this one that he thought was lost to him is not only not lost, but has, has become the, the number one person in all, the most powerful man in the world, in a sense. And here, here, out of the depths of his despair, he discovers a joy all surpassing. And it's, it's, it's hard to take it in. No, Joseph is still alive and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. And so Jacob's heart stood still at first because he didn't believe it. And then when he sees all the wagons coming, all these carts, he realizes that indeed uh, it's true. And it says uh, that he revived and his spirit. Well, let's read the rest. Yeah. Let's read the rest of this. And then, and then I want you to talk about that. Cause I, I stopped just cause I, I in many ways you're almost overwhelmed yourself. Yeah, yeah. Verse 27. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he has said to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph sent to carry him, the spirit of their father with Jacob was revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Mm -hmm. Pastor, my first thoughts go back to the prodigal son. My son, who was dead, is now alive. Absolutely, that's what I, I mean. Oh, and it, oh, good. Well, keep going no, no, with no, it. No, I, I, I don't no, want to steal keep, it. Keep talking. That's right. <laughs> it, it's that. It's that image of of uh, my son who was dead is now alive, and and the as I say, surprised by joy, and is it's no wonder that it says his spirit was revived by it. That he he is just overwhelmed by the reality, and and he doesn't need. I mean, the carts, the wagons, the asses, they proved to him that what the boys said was true. 
he's convinced because it says mm -hmm. he didn't believe them at first, but now he's seen all the retinue of, of the caravan coming and he believes them, but that's not what his focus is. It is enough. And what is the, it is enough. My son is alive. And that is the truth that, that gladdens his heart, revives his spirit and, and, and figuratively sends him packing to hurry off to Egypt is it's enough. My son's alive. I'll see him before I die. And what does that statement say? It is enough. It is enough. What, what is that? What are your thoughts on those words? I think that's, that's a very powerful language that he uses for words. I think so too. It, it, to say that it is enough. I, I think we, we live in a culture where uh, to paraphrase uh, Mick Jagger, too much is never enough. And we never think enough is enough. And here, uh, this man who's referred to by his new name, Israel, not his old name, uh, Israel says it is enough. And the it is enough is referring to the provision of God. The promise and the provision of God is enough to get us through, uh, to get us through anything, to get us through every day, to get us through each tribulation, each trial, each affliction, each what in the world is happening in my life. I don't understand what God is doing. It is enough. Knowing that the God who promises is the God who delivers is enough. And that's where it comes down to other words, such as, it is finished. Yes. And it brings us back to Christ once again. Pastor, with about a minute left in our time, how would you summarize this chapter and encourage our listeners in Christ? Well, I think we can learn an awful lot from the story of Joseph about how to relate to those who have wronged us, how to pray for those who have hurt us, how to exercise forgiveness. But ultimately, the best part of the entire chapter is the realization that our God is not limited to the people who are his servants and who support him and who obey him, but that he is able to use everything that comes into our lives, even those things that we resist and view as most odious and painful, and he can still work his purposes out in us. And his promise is that because he is God the Father Almighty, he will do it, and he'll do it for us. Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 45. Pastor McFadden, overwhelmed by joy, it is enough. Thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner, and District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. Mm -hmm.